You're listening to Essay Talk, San Antonio's favorite podcast for discussions happening around and about the Alamo City. I'm Zach, your favorite retirement advisor, host of Essay Talk, and founder of the San Antonio Podcast Network. Today is Monday, May 9th. Hope everyone had a wonderful Mother's Day if you're listening to this the Monday following Mother's Day. Um, I know I did. We got to take my mom and my grandma actually out to snooze over at the quarry. Um, It's a place where I hadn't been in a little while, um, but my grandma hadn't been, and I don't think my mom had been either. So I know some may feel like that's a little basic and you could have done a little better, um, but it was a place that my girlfriend and I enjoy, and I know my mom and my grandma would enjoy, so we got to do that. Took my brother, his girlfriend, had a great Mother's Day. So I hope all of you out there listening had a great Mother's Day as well. Guys, we have a superstar guest joining us on SA Talk today, Tim Morrow. Yes, you heard that correct. Tim Morrow, the CEO of the San Antonio Zoo and big UTSA alumni, Booster supports UTSA. I'm so happy to have him on. Been looking forward to interviewing him. As you've probably heard me before talk about how much my girlfriend and I enjoy going to the zoo, enjoy animal experiences. If you follow any of us on Instagram, you know that we've done a few animal encounters, I guess you could say, the penguin encounter at SeaWorld. We've ridden, I think, the camel at, I think it was the zoo as well. We also got to get up close and personal to the kangaroos at the newer kangaroo exhibit, which you'll hear Tim and I get into later in our discussions. Um, Of course, we've got up close and personal to the seals over in La Jolla in San Diego, California, which that was a whole experience in itself, if you've ever been, uh, the listeners out there. But again, we have a great guest joining us here on SA Talk. Before we get to that interview, I did want to remind you all that I, along with my NLC San Antonio cohort members, will be putting on a fundraising event on June 8th. That's June 8th from 6 to 8 p.m. at Alamo Beer Company, right by the Hay Street Bridge on the east side of downtown. There's going to be games like the Giant Jenga, Connect Four, Cornhole. They're going to give a little presentation, talk about NLC. There's going to be free drinks and food if you buy a ticket. So you can buy a ticket for yourself. You can also buy a ticket for yourself and a partner. And that actually comes out to a little less costly if you buy it in pairs of two. And of course, if you or maybe your business or someone you know wants to sponsor the event, there are sponsorship tiers where you get can get multiple tickets along with your name or logo um, advertised on their social media, on their website, again, depending on what tier sponsor you are. But just wanted to remind you all of that event going on. I'll be posting all about it later this month, posting links. I'll put it in the link tree for the podcast, as well as my own link tree uh, for my advisor social media pages. Uh, But again, we have Tim Morrow joining us on this SA Talk episode, and I don't want to take away from that interview. So let's get right into it. So welcome into SA Talk, Tim. So happy to have you on here. Um, I've been, I mean, as a resident of San Antonio, being born and raised here, been going to the zoo since I was a kid. Um, so I'm so happy to have you on and you're a UTSA alumni. So that's always right. a good deal. <laughs> that's always a good deal for the podcast. Uh, so kind of kick us off, you know, let the listeners know, um, kind of tell them a little bit about yourself and how you got into the role that you're currently in with the San Antonio Zoo. Yeah, I like you and many many people in San Antonio was a, a grew up in San Antonio. I lived here when I was smaller, second and third grade. And I remember coming to the zoo at that age, and then I kind of uh, moved off. To, and I was in Dallas for a while, but came back to San Antonio after high school, and uh, have been here ever since. And I was really studying 
um, criminal justice. My dad was an FBI agent, so that was the path I was going to take. And but I started working at Fiesta Texas as a lifeguard the first summer that that park opened, just to meet friend, new friends and have something to do in the summer. Uh, and then the second year while I was going to school, Fiesta Texas called me again to come back to be a trainer. And I said, no, but ended up doing it. That happened three or four times. I kept getting promoted uh, to ultimately a supervisor of the water park there for four years. And uh, I had gotten my two degrees in criminal justice from SAC, was switching over to UTSA to do a major. Uh, SeaWorld called me out of the blue and said, hey, we'd like to, you to come run the water park at SeaWorld and some other areas. And I said, no, <laughs> and I ended up doing it. But I, and then it ultimately ended up there for 19 years. Um, and then the zoo called, uh, they were looking for a new director. So they had a firm looking for a zoo director. And I said, no, <laughs> I came to walk the zoo one day and, you know, just realized I could really, I think I could really help the zoo and bring the right people in to, to really take this to the next level and, and, and create the world-class zoo that San Antonio wants and deserves. And it always has been just make it better. So total accidental career. I tell people all the time, like start as a lifeguard and ended up running a zoo, but it's been a great uh, time and a great run. I, I, I realize now that all the things I learned at the theme parks, because I get to run multiple departments, you know, from landscaping to PR, to operations, to front gates, water parks, you name it, I got to do it. Uh, all those things I learned along that way have really helped me uh, here and do this job at San Antonio Zoo. And so how many years now have you been running the San Antonio Zoo? I've been here um, seven and a half. So I got here in December of 2014, which is pretty neat because 2014 was the 100 year birthday of San Antonio Zoo. We opened in 1914. So I got to wow. be here for the end of the first 100 years and the beginning of the next 100 years. And so uh, we've been busy, though, ever since we got here and have a great team in place that are really changing and flipping the zoo and and getting a lot of accolades, well-deserved accolades for what our staff does recently. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about the history of the zoo? I mean, you don't have to go into great yeah. detail. There could yeah. probably be a whole episode on that. Oh, you uh, could, for sure. Yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, Colonel Brackenridge, who everyone knows Brackenridge Park, owned all this property um, that was part of his estate. And at some point, he donated that to the city of San Antonio for parkland. Uh, while he had this as a, his estate, he had animals on this property where what is now the, the golf course on the other side of Mulberry from the zoo. And uh, he had bison and, and lion and monkeys and those kind of things, just kind of his own collection of animals, I think. And so the actual ground where the zoo sits on was part of Spanish land grants. So you can look at old maps and see these Spanish land grants that run up from the river. So each, each plot had access to water as you came down. And um, at some point, Colonel Brackridge bought that and then donated that to the city as well. And, and then in the 1800s, this was a quarry. The location we're in now was a quarry. So much like you're seeing in San Antonio now with the rim and La Cantera and Fiesta, Texas. I mean, we were the first attraction to be built in a quarry uh, and it was 1914. Uh, so that is when the zoo opened here, um, actually this month in 1914. So we turned 108 this year. Um, and then it's just continued to grow since then. We actually have property of the zoo grounds go to the other side of 281. So the 281 split the zoo grounds in the 70s. So a lot of people don't realize we have that land over there. I didn't realize it before I came to work here. But we're really excited to expand the zoo over there and do some more great things where, where our parking garage is now and our Wilson Zoo School sits. You know, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because it kind of answers a question for me. And I don't know if there's listeners out there that were wondering the same thing. But, you know, of course, when the artwork was done on that parking garage over there, I was kind of wondering to myself, like, how was that part of the zoo? <laughs> like, I didn't even know yeah. that, I guess, just on a personal level. And so yeah. it kind of makes sense that you guys, you know, you have that land over there. Yeah. Um, now, speaking about the zoo, like, what makes the San Antonio Zoo different? 
Um, and you know, we'll get kind of to the to the recent accolades accolades right. about the zoo. But um, you know, what makes it different than other zoos around the country? I think first, it's always going to be the people. You know, we have a lot of San Antonians work here, of course. It is such a friendly culture in this city that our guests experience a, a wonderful time here, and they feel the passion and the knowledge of our employees. So that it's just a very welcoming zoo and friendly uh, to to do as a guest. And then you layer on top, we are a historic zoo. You know, we're 108 years old. Uh, we have these beautiful historic buildings that were built during the WPA when, you know, the government was putting everyone back to work coming out of the Great Depression. The San Antonio Zoo and the Riverwalk were the two big projects in San Antonio that were done during the WPA. So we have these beautiful WPA buildings and walls. Uh, the Riverwalk starts in, in, in the, inside the zoo and runs through the zoo. So we have this beautiful river and these beautiful trees. It's just a beautiful setting. Um, and I, I, I visit zoos all the time, all over the country, and just nothing feels like San Antonio Zoo when you go to visit. There's, there's beautiful zoos in different ways, but nothing has the charm in the history and the, the culture, I think, that San Antonio Zoo has. And, you know, if, if some of the listeners have been paying attention to the media, they'd noticed that recently the zoo was named, I think, the number two zoo in the country yeah. when it comes to animal welfare, conservancy, and there's one more thing. Education. <laughs> Education. Education. So how did you get there? Yeah, yeah, we our our pillars are education and conservation, and always really have been. We've just been really growing those the last decade or so. And so, you know, we operate Will Smith Zoo School, which is a nature-based preschool. Uh, we have about 240 kids go to school there, and a waiting list of over 800 each semester to get in. So, this incredible learning experience for three, four, and five-year-olds. They they learn outside. They're outside 60 to 70 percent of the day. They get to come to the zoo every day, and we're creating future generations of conservationists with our three, four, and five-year-olds. And then we have educational programs in the zoo every day, you know, nearly 100,000 field trips come. So we're very focused on education uh, from preschool on. And um, really, we have programming from the cradle to the crane that the cane that someone can come here and learn through programming that we're doing. So that has been a big focus of the zoo. And I think we've just done a much better job of telling that story in the Will Smith Zoo School. It's the premier largest nature based preschool on the planet. And so that has gotten us a lot of attention and a lot of accolades. And people are realizing now how, how much kids are being disconnected from nature. The, the statistics are kids nowadays are spending seven to 10 hours a day in front of a screen and less than seven minutes a week outside with unstructured play. So we're really trying to reconnect these kids back to nature. And it's very important, especially as we are really working to save this planet right now as we humans expand so fast. And then our conservation department, the director prior to myself started that uh, department probably two years before I got here. And we've really been growing that department. And, you know, we're doing conservation work on nearly every continent. We have programs in Peru, in Chile, in Mexico, in the Gulf of Mexico. We're in China. We're in Japan. You know, we're supporting projects in, in Asia and Africa. And, and right here in San Antonio and across the U.S., we're doing all this conservation work. Uh, you know, one of our ones that we're really well known for now is the horned lizard or horny toads that everyone used to see growing up in Texas and they're disappearing. So uh, we're breeding those and re-releasing those back out into the wild and things like that. So... I think just better telling our story of the things that are happening at the zoo behind the scenes um, is really getting us some recognition worldwide for the things that we do right here from San Antonio, but around the world. Now, when you say you're doing some work like in a, in a country like Japan or other countries that you mentioned, what, what do you mean? Or give, I guess, a couple of examples or one example. Yeah, so Japan is a, there's a, a species of salamander called the Japanese giant salamander and it's giant. They get like four feet plus long. <laughs> And they live in a river system. They live in the river systems of Japan. Well, as those countries need power and things, they put in dams. And just the most familiar thing people will know to is salmon. The salmon have the same issue getting upriver to breed. So they build salmon ladders where the fish can go around these dams and these blockages. 
we're doing the same thing for Japanese giant salamanders in Japan, where these dams are cutting off the genetic uh, diversity of those species. So eventually they're just stuck in one area with the same genetic pool and, and they will just blink out. So that's an example of Japan. In, uh, in Peru, in the Amazon, we work with indigenous groups. So the, the traditional indigenous groups of, uh, in the Amazon, we work with them to protect their, their land. And you know, prior to COVID, the story we always tell is, okay, these indigenous groups do not deal in cash. They don't deal in contracts. They have diseases that hit them sometimes just like everybody else. And what would happen is miners or loggers will come in and say, hey, we'll, we'll give you the medicine. We have the medicine for you, but you have to sign over the rights to your land so we can mine it and log it. And so we tell these groups, don't ever do that. We're here to support you. And so what we do in Amazon is they make crafts and goods and we buy those crafts and goods and sell them in our gift shops. Obviously not enough to sustain us having a program in Peru. So what we've done is, you know, we have to have a boat to get to the indigenous groups in the Amazon. In order to have a boat, someone has to take care of the boat and drive the boat. And then we're shipping goods up. So we have to have a staff. So we have a staff of about six people in Iquitos, in the middle of the Amazon, um, that really do this work as far as working directly with the indigenous groups and then sending things to us and back and forth. But in order to pay for that, we, uh, we brought in a Japanese fish print artist, which is an art form called Giyutaku. And back before cameras, Japanese fishermen would fish and they would take rice paper, put a, a non-toxic dye on the fish. And basically you make a fingerprint of the fish. And then uh, as that art modernized, they started coloring them and it's just beautiful artwork of these fish, of real fish. And so we've trained our staff in the city of Iquitos to do these fish prints and uh, they produce the fish prints now out of the fish out of the Amazon. They're, it's the most diverse place in the world for fish. And then we sell those artworks. And some of them are three, $5,000 pieces of art. I mean, six foot long fish. Um, and that, that money that we raised from art is really funding this conservation program, saving the rainforest. And COVID was the, the perfect example where a disease hit. And, and some of these groups live on the edge of the Amazon and they'll get some tourism uh, the people that come visit them and things like that. Well, all of a sudden, all the tourists were gone and no one from the Peruvian government is going in to tell the indigenous groups what's happening. So we had to go in and tell them what was happening. Um, they don't have gardens big enough to sustain themselves. They need to go into the city at some point and buy food and trade and those kind of things. Uh, and they couldn't. Everything was locked down for them as well. So uh, our staff since March of 2020 has been taking them food and medicine and supplies um, every other week just so that they could survive this pandemic because without it, they would they would not have survived. So uh, it's a pretty amazing program that is funded by art. So it's really this self-sustaining great program and it's producing amazing art. And we have great relationships in the Amazon and we usually go down once a year, but we haven't been able to go down um, for a couple of years. We're very anxious to get back and go see our staff and, and visit those groups again. Now we might get into some of the challenges that COVID uh, kind of presented the zoo a little bit later on in our discussion, but I, I love hearing the information that you just talked about. I love hearing about that because the average person that visits a zoo, I, I would think that they probably don't know right. Right, that that's going on. I, I like hearing stories like that, you know, because yeah. obviously you're the one to tell it or your staff is the one to tell it. Um, I love that. Now, I want to get to the animal welfare part. And the reason sure. I want to get to it is because obviously you're the expert to talk about it. But there's some folks out there and I, I'm not in this group. My girlfriend and I, we, we, we love going to the zoos. We visited different zoos around the country. We love going to our, our hometown zoo, of course. Yeah. Um, but there's some folks out there that kind of feel like, oh, the zoo, well, they're just caging these animals. Um, people have that little, I, I guess you would say there's, there's a little bit of a stigma. Um, yeah. but kind of talk about that. You know, again, you were rated number two, you know, the San Antonio yeah. Zoo, you and your staff are rated number two. So kind of talk about that animal welfare. Yeah. I think 
And I totally understand people's perceptions. And I think when they think about a zoo that way, they're thinking of the zoo of what I call yesteryear or yesterday. You know, zoos really started popping up in the United States in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And this was before anyone could was traveling to Africa, unless you were, you know, very, very rich and wealthy. The only place you could see these animals for decades in the 1900s was by visiting a zoo. And so at those times, zoos were really judged by who has the most animals that you can go see because that's getting the best value for you at the time. Um, and that has changed now. And zoos, you know, didn't understand the social needs of animals, uh, the social structure of animals at the time. It was literally, you know, we're going to have one gorilla. And if he passes away, we'll get another gorilla from Africa and bring it in and have it on display. And that is not how zoos operate anymore. Now we're really judged by how natural are our habitats? How good is our animal welfare? How good is our animal care? Um, how big are the habitats and those kind of things? So zoos have really modernized. And uh, you know, we had a, a guest speaker at a luncheon yesterday for conservation where we gave out a conservation award. And Jeff Corwin uh, from National TV uh, told his story about you know zoos of yesteryear. He's like, you can compare it to a dentist of the 1920s. Would you want to go to a dentist now of the 1920s? And, and how much has dentistry changed? How much has psychological care changed? In the 1900s, you used to be able to go pay to see patients like a zoo in a mental ward. And so how far has that come? And it's the same thing for um, um, across every industry, probably. But I thought that was a really interesting analogy when you talk about a dentist. In the I 1920s. love that. I love that analogy. Yeah. So I'm at, uh, this is the same for a zoo. The zoo in the 1920s is not the zoo of the 2020s. And, you know, the planet right now is in the, the midst of a mass extinction event, the sixth mass extinction on our planet's history. And this one's being caused by humans. It's not an asteroid. It's not anything else. And so zoos are becoming more and more important every day. One, we're taking species and our zoo has several species here that they're gone in the wild. There's no more. And we're breeding them and, and keeping that species in existence, hoping that we'll be able to, you know, get precious resources back in the environment and re-release those animals back out in the environment. So that's happening across zoos all over the U.S. And if you just take the accredited zoos in the U.S., about $200 million a year goes into conservation. So people visiting zoos are funding conservation around the world to the tune of $200 million just by visiting a zoo. Um, and so I think that's, that's just a, it's a ch changing, evolving um, perception of zoos. And it's interesting if you look at the data of who thinks what, you know, it's the older generations really have very positive um, images of zoos, even though they grew up in a time of a menagerie zoo probably, but they've seen the change. Now we see the younger generations coming up that are question, they question everything about everything anyway. And so they do question zoos. But I, once you visit a good accredited zoo and find out the things that you're do, that zoos are doing, uh, and really it's not cages anymore. Our, we've been working to eliminate any cage in our zoo besides a bird holding. We, cage, three, cage free in two, 2023 is what we've been saying, cage free in 23. So the modern zoo is not what it was pictured um, from yesteryear. And I think those are my favorite people to talk to when I hear someone that has that perception, because I have a conversation like I'm having with you and they're just blown away that we're doing the things that we're doing and working literally this staff here and every zoo is working to save the planet and save animals from extinction. So it's just really changed. And zoos just have to continue to do a better job of telling that story. I think we're seeing that now with all the zoo shows on TV you know, there's a Bronx Zoo show, there's a San Diego Zoo show, uh, Zoo Tampa, you got the aquarium. So you got the, the stories are starting to get out there and people are starting to see the good that zoos are doing. And it's not the old zoo that was just holding animals and, and doing those kind of things. I love that. And I love the 
the more innovative exhibits around yeah. the country at these zoos. Like I said, my girlfriend and I were big, um, I guess you could call it fans of animals. I don't know what you're yeah. fans of zoos, whatever you want to call us. But, uh, you know, we've, we've been to the San Diego Zoo. We've been to the zoo in Central Park. We've been to the zoo here, of course. Uh, we even visited the, I don't even know if it's called a zoo, but the Austin Zoo. It's like a mini yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you'd call that. A little yeah. different. So it's, they do a lot. They do rescue work there. I think their main focus. Yeah. And, and what I like is just so all the exhibits are so different now. And and what we really enjoy is the uh, the interactive experience of some of these. And I know the San Antonio Zoo recently added. Was it the kangaroo experience? Yes. Right. Yes. Um, I know that was fairly new. We got to do that. That was that was so much fun. And you know, obviously, yeah. you don't go up there and you touch them or anything. But even just getting that close, you're like, wow. I had never seen a pouch, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, I'd never know, seen. And some of them will let you, you pet them. Some of them like it and, and they have their timeout space where we tell the guests if they go over there, you leave this where their own private space. They don't want to be touched. I mean, yeah, you can go in there right now. We have, I think four or five Joey's running around in there, but you, you can go in there and see the feet hanging out and the face coming out. And the, and when you create those up close experiences, it really creates a connection um, like you have for kangaroos now. And if you had never seen a kangaroo, maybe on just TV, you probably wouldn't care if you heard that kangaroos were being killed <laughs> or wherever it is. And so those connections are important. It also gives us time to talk to you. So when you're in there, animal care specialists are talking to you or educators, the same at our draft feed, same at Laura Keat Landing where you feed the birds. Uh, you can feed flamingos here now. So we have added a lot of interactive experiences where people can get face-to-face -face with these animals and really spark the flame of uh, caring about that animal and wanting to protect it in the wild. So you still have the, the a personal question. You still have the the bird feeding like they give you like a sweet yeah. juice like like a nectar yeah. and they yeah, come that's up. Yeah, and you go in there and feed the the, the the land all over you the lorikeets and then we added about two years ago maybe three now um, flamingo mingle where you can go in and feed flamingos and so it's just a great experience and um, really gets people excited about those species and they really start to care about that species when they have that connection that close. I mean, at our giraffe deck, we built it elevated on purpose. So you're looking face to face into the eyes of a draft while you feed him. And it's just an incredible moment. And, and for us to have that time to talk to you there about, you know, there's less than 4,000 of this giraffe in the wild anymore of this species. And zoos are working to save them through Giraffe Conservation Fund. And by buying this experience, you're helping fund giraffe conservation in Africa. And so uh, all those have meaning and mission behind them. Everything we do has meaning and mission behind it. And so I think it's really the zoo is fun. Like you kept mentioning fun. Like we want people to come here first and foremost because they want to have fun and we want them to have fun. The, the more fun they have, the longer they're staying, the longer they're staying, the more opportunity we have to educate them on the things we're doing about the animals here and about what we're doing out in the wild. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we love the animal experiences. I know. Um, I, I don't think this, I, I know for sure this is at SeaWorld. I don't think you have it at the zoo right now, but we had done the interaction like with the penguins at SeaWorld yeah. before. Like we love stuff like that, but you're absolutely right. It gives the staff time to educate us yeah. about it because, of course, they're talking to us the whole time. And yes. sure, it's you know it's fun for us as well because you get to pet a penguin, right, yes. or see a penguin <laughs> up close. So you know th things like that. I, I I love that. And you know, speaking of being innovative, you were almost forced to be innovative during the pandemic. Uh, everything was shutting down. Restaurants were closing. Uh, st you know, six feet. The, the social distancing measures, but you took a different approach. You know, you, you took the, uh, I, I guess you had the innovation in mind when you came up with the drive through zoo. And that was something that I don't know, I don't think had been done before. Maybe you no. got the idea from somewhere else, but, but I love that. Right. And, and I, I will say we didn't get to do the drive through 
Um, even though we go to the zoo a lot, we didn't get to do the coming drive-through. Back. But coming back, there's your insider tip. We'll be announcing soon some drive-through zoos coming back. So in the evenings, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's well, not, and that's, that's what I mean. So, what uh, what kind of led to that that idea? You know, we close uh, March 14th, 2020. I'll never forget that whole time leading up to it. Interestingly enough, you know, zoos have been watching COVID for three, four months before it was a really big news story because theoretically there was an animal poached out of Africa sent into Asia, put in a wet market and zoos have been working in Asia and Africa to one stop wet markets because of the conditions for the animals and two stop poaching and smuggling of animals in Africa and other countries. And so we were already talking about how do we message this? This is not the first strain of kind of a COVID that came, has come out. Um, so we were watching it early talking about how we're going to message it. We had no idea what it was going to become at the time. Um, but so we were watching. And then I remember seeing, I was actually in Orlando where they started shutting down theme park. And, and the NBA shut down. And I'm like, well, it's over. This is not going to be good. And of course, we all thought, oh, it'll be a couple of weeks. You know? <laughs> and so looking back, you're like, wow. But, um, you know, we closed. We, we don't, we are not funded operationally by the city. We're private 501c3. We just sit on city land. A lot of people thought and think probably still that we're city funded or city run, which we're not. So we were, we were literally about to do a marketing campaign to tell the community, you know, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. We need donations to grow and become better. And then COVID hit and we closed and it costs us half a million dollars a week to care for the animals here and kind of keep the zoo operational, whether a guest comes in or not. And we, all of our revenue comes from guests buying tickets and spending money in the zoo and events and things like that. So we were now at a, losing $500,000 a week and with no money coming in. And you know, we always have had a really open communication with our team at every level. Like there's no bad ideas. We don't even think about outside of the box. We just say there is no box. And so you've seen our zoo do some wild things and some fun things over the years, but drive through zoo was one of our frontline marketing employees, you know, brought it up in a marketing meeting. No one had ever done it before. The vice president of marketing brings it to our senior leadership meeting the next day. And we're like, yeah, that would work. I mean, we drive through the zoo all the time. Delivery trucks are driving through, we're driving through. Uh, you just kind of take it for granted that you're, <laughs> that you do that. And, and most theme parks and zoos, you have fire truck accessibility lanes. So there's places to drive vehicles. So, um, we worked on that and we created the, the first drive-through zoo. Um, we ha had an audio soundtrack that gave you animal information as you drove through it, bad zoo jokes. I mean, was, we tried to make it a really fun experience as well. We had little pullover lanes with food where you get churros and dipping dots and all the things that you missed while we'd been shut down and, and little merchandise areas. And, you know, we created this little commercial, like 22nd commercial um, I'm driving a car with my kids in it. That's how bad it was. I tell everyone they used me in a commercial. <laughs> I'm driving the car with my, my kids in it. And I mean, my marketing VPs, Jeep Wrangler, whatever it is, or a little SUV. And um, we were going to do a three-day run of this just to see what it did. And we launched the video on Facebook, like on a Wednesday at three o'clock. And we sold out within 90 minutes for three days. Um, so we knew we were onto something. And then we opened it up for a month and sold out every single day we immediately sent it to every zoo in the country. Look, here's, we just launched this. It's going crazy. The community is so excited. It was the first thing really you could do coming out of lockdown was the drive-through zoo. And so zoos all over the world ended up taking that and doing that and shifting to a drive model. So I don't know of any other business um, in the world that shifted to a drive-through model before we did, that did not have a drive-through model before. And that, I include Concerts, they started doing concerts in your cars, movies and those kind of things and drive through theme parks started doing it. Fiesta Texas did it here. Um, so it was really fun for us to watch that spread and help those communities. Zoos are very open 
about helping each other. I mean, we share everything with each other. We're not competitors. We're all mission focused. And you talk about innovation, even in design, we visit others use all the time. They will literally give us their blueprints and say, don't do this, do this, do this. Our Pantera walk that we just opened is a good example of a really innovative attraction that we've created for our Jaguars. It gives them 120% more space. And we've had multiple zoos come down and look at that already and want to replicate that kind of what we've done there. And so we're really excited about that innovation as far as animal habitats and the drive-through zoo and some of the other things we do, like the, the Crimea cockroach at Valentine's where you can, you know, symbolically buy the name of a roach or a rat. We feed it on, on uh, Valentine's day. And that, that raised almost a hundred thousand dollars for the zoo this year, just this year. So <laughs> we do some things that other zoos probably won't do, but um, I think that we're having fun and our community is having fun along with us. And, it, and it's good for San Antonio because we do get a lot of uh, publicity and notoriety for the things that we do. Absolutely. Now, you know, you've been at the zoo since you said 2014, right? Uh, in that time, you know, what kind of impact has it had on you just being there for what, eight years? I think first the learning, people ask me, because I've been at SeaWorld for so long, they're like, what's the biggest difference between SeaWorld and the zoo? And I say, operationally, they're, it's the same. It's pretty, it's pretty close to the same. The, the big difference is one, fundraising. I've, had, I've become a fundraiser now over the last eight years. You know, before I would go to the corporate office and say, hey, we want to build Aquatica and here's how much it costs and here's how much we'll make and done. Now I'm going to people and asking them for their own money or their company's money. And I think my biggest learning has been the support that this city gives this zoo. I mean, 600 volunteers here a year and then philanthropically people have gotten really behind us what we're doing with all these projects the last few years. So to me, it's just been a learning. The passion of the employees drives me and keeps me going every day. And anyone that comes and talks to zoo staff, you know, we'll take someone to meet a rhino and I'll tell them every time they will leave talking about the employee and that employee's passion and that employee's knowledge. And you kind of did it with your penguin. They you talk about the staff member there and, and the time that you have with that person. So just the passion here is off the charts. The people work at the San Antonio Zoo because they love the mission of what we're doing and they want to save, really save the planet. And then San Antonio Zoo is such a jewel for San Antonio. You know, it's, 108 year old treasure. People have been coming here for four or five generations now. And so everything we do, we realize has a big impact on our community. And we're very proud of that too. We want San Antonio to be really proud and really excited about their zoo. You know, we're tired of hearing about people say, Oh, San Diego, did you go to San Diego? Did you go to the zoo in San Diego? This, and, and we tell those zoos, we're coming after you. We're coming after you. And we are very proud on the list that you just mentioned where we're the number two zoo in the country. Uh, San Diego was behind us. And so was, Disney Animal Kingdom and Bronx Zoo and Lincoln Park Zoo and, and, and Houston and LA. And so we're very proud of, you know, we are um, coming for everyone. We want to be the best zoo in the country. Absolutely. And we're definitely the best zoo in Texas. So, yes, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, but hopefully we're on that list too. So we were number two in the country, but I'm also, I also said, take note, we're number one in Texas. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, going forward, you know, what are, what are some improvements or, or changes that we might see at the zoo? I know it was announced a couple of months ago that for the last three decades, we haven't had a gorilla, right? Or, right. or yeah. gorillas there. And we're going to get that back. Yeah, we're getting that back. I mean, there's a lot going on here. We've probably done $60 million of reinvestment into the zoo in the last seven years. You know, we, uh, we built the Will Smith Zoo School, the parking garage, we updated, you know, the elephant habitat, the lion habitat, the rhino habitat is new, the savannah with elephants is new. So we've been just flipping the zoo um, nonstop. And I remember my first couple of months here, a guest stopped me and said, when is all this construction going to be done? And my answer was like, never. I mean, we should constantly be improving and getting better. And it's the Golden Gate Bridge. You get to one end, you come back and you start again with your improvements. So Right now, we literally have seven construction projects happening at the zoo. Um, we just opened Neotropica, so our whole South American realm with the Pantera Walk uh, 
which is beautifully sponsored by Texas A&M San Antonio, which was fun because their mascot's the Jaguar and to have that local educational connection is really fun. But uh, right now our Kronkowski's Tiny Top Nature Spot is under construction. We're redoing that whole area. Uh, we're gonna build a, a year round glass butterfly house there and a whole reimagined area for kids at the Tiny Top area. We're about to um, redo the Hickson Birdhouse and refresh the Hickson Birdhouse. Uh, we're bringing in uh, 40 theater. So guests can experience a 40 theater. We have a new entrance. We're going to tear it out. This entrance that we have now is built in the fifties and we need a new one to handle the crowds that we now do over a million people a year. And we want something that's really inspiring and speaks to San Antonio. So it, it has a very San Antonio flair and feel to it. People can Google some images of that. We've put some images out already of that new entrance. And then following that will be gorilla, which will be really the biggest thing we've ever done. And it's, it's over two acres of space for gorillas, um, which if you look back, we talked about the zoo of yesteryear. When you walk into the zoo right now, to the left is the a lemur exhibit. That's where a gorilla used to live by himself or two. And so that was the zoo of yesteryear. Now we're looking at two, eight, two, and, a half, two and a half acres. Uh, the people designing it are, are animal welfare specialists, biologists, conservationists, animal care specialists, zoo designers. And so it's really focused on animal care and welfare when we do these exhibits now. But we're very excited to have gorillas back. Right now, a kid in San Antonio will either never see a gorilla or the closest place they have to go is Houston or Dallas to see it, which they may never get to go there either. Uh, you know, there's not, not everyone gets to travel to other cities. And so uh, we, we think it's really important for the children here to be able to have that connection and for our zoo to get back into the conservation work of gorillas and those kind of things. And major zoos in this country are expected to have some of those species that we don't have. And so we want to be, you want to be a top zoo in the country. You need to have what people want to see at, at a top rated zoo. Now, Tim, now someone like yourself who is, you know, at, at the head, someone who's leading one of the largest and well-known organizations or entities here in San Antonio. How do you want to be remembered in your role? Uh, I've Well, my goal is I work for everybody here. I'm not really leading. I'm just supporting. I'm the supporter. Our, our chart goes like this and I'm at the bottom. And so <laughs> um, I, I want people to know here the incredible work our staff is doing um, and the passion that they have and how hard they're working to create this amazing zoo that our kids and grandkids and people are gonna be able to come to for generations. Uh, and then, that, you know, the people that work at the zoo really care about San Antonio. I can't, I can't say that enough. It, it probably is not like this in other cities where people, you know, I love San Antonio. <laughs> and I, when I was, when I was applying for this job, my comment to them was, I'm not, I don't want the San Antonio zoo director job so I can move up to San Diego or some other city. I, I want to be in San Antonio and do this for my city and my community. And so, um, I think everyone here at the zoo feels that way. Even people that move here from other cities now, they just understand that's how San Antonio is. And we're very proud of the city and, and that we create this um, amazing zoo that people want to travel to just to see the zoo. Great. It helps the city of San Antonio and the community and everyone that works in tourism and those kind of things. And, and so um, I think I want anyone to know anything. It's the passion of the staff and the passion of what's and the great things that are happening here for the community and for, for our mission of saving animals and securing a future for wildlife. Now, Tim, as we wrap up this interview, uh, just kind of let the listeners know where can they find you, where where can they keep up with news and updates on the San Antonio Zoo, and then, of course, kind of finish up by, I guess, letting them know any events that are currently going yeah, on. Sure. Yeah, you can follow the zoo everywhere on social. We're on Facebook. We're on um, YouTube. We're on Twitter, on Instagram, um, and it's really fun social to follow. If you don't if you don't follow San Antonio Zoo social, it is very fun and goes very viral often, which is another benefit for San Antonio. Our videos are often picked up nationally and internationally uh, around the world and, and shared. Um, and then myself, you can find me all over the place. Also on Twitter, 
and Instagram. I think I'm at Manana Zoo, which Manana is tomorrow in Spanish. Like my name tomorrow is kind of a play on that. So people are always like, what's Manana Zoo? I'm like, no, it's Manana. I just can't get the Enya to go on there. So, <laughs> um, and you can follow me on Facebook and those kind of things. And, and my social is very random as well. No politics, but very random. And, and I, have a, I have a lot of fun interacting with local community and like your podcast and the, and the local people doing these great things here. I think it's fun that we're all connected in those places. And then for upcoming events, there's always something happening at the zoos. One of the things we've really focused on adding the last seven years is it's not just the zoo of, you know, you think back 10, 15 years ago, you can't, if you went to the zoo, you're like, okay, I've been there, done that. I'll go back in a year or so. Well, now it's something always different happening at the zoo. So spring break, we have jungle boogie break. Um, right now on weekends, we have on a stick, which was another COVID innovation. You know, we lost Fiesta, which I was heartbroken about because I love Fiesta more than Christmas. Uh, we lost the state fair. We lost Mardi Gras. We lost worst fest. So we launched on a stick, the festivals you missed. Um, and then we have just continued that. So throughout the zoo, we have areas where it's like the state fair and all these different things. And so that's fun coming up on May 11th, I think is Zulala, our big food and wine festival for adults. That's an all inclusive event with food and wine and beer and uh, five stages with bands and a really fun event for adults. And then this summer we have planet earth, uh, deep sea adventure and our, our lead biologist, Dr. Fenolia, who runs our conservation center is one of the world's best wildlife photographers. And so we'll be really be showcasing his artwork all summer and have interactive touch pools for kids um, to touch animals and do all kinds of great things. But his art, his photography of the species at the very bottom of the Gulf of Mexico and ocean, some of those things you won't even believe are from our planet. They've never really been seen before. So we're really excited about that show. And then of course we have uh, six weeks of Zubu in the fall and then seven weeks of holiday lights with zoo lights. So there's literally something always different happening at the zoo, which creates a, a fun, different experience every single time you come. Well, Tim, thanks again. Uh, listeners, I mean, of course, you can visit sazoo.org. Uh, that's where you can get tickets. Of course, you can just go to the zoo and I'm sure get tickets. Yes, yes. Uh, but that's where you can also keep up with the zoo. Um, Tim, again, thank you so much. I, I really thank appreciate you. you coming on this podcast. Um, I know you're an individual I've been wanting to get on. April Anytime. was uh, a- April was very insistent that, that I yeah. get you on the podcast. <laughs> um, so I appreciate her effort in doing that. But uh, no, anytime. I, love, I really love supporting you guys that are doing this. I think it's great for San Antonio and great for the community and I love doing it. So anytime you want to talk about something, just let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you, Tim. Thank you. That's going to wrap up my interview with Tim Morrow, the CEO of the San Antonio Zoo. I really hope you enjoyed the discussion, Uh, but it's also going to wrap up another episode of SA Talk. So thank you to everyone who supports the show. As always, I really, really, really appreciate your support listening to every episode. Some of you out there actually supporting the podcast with monthly donations. Really appreciate you guys. Keep the podcast going. I really encourage you if you enjoyed this episode or have enjoyed episodes in the past, or maybe you're a new listener, welcome if you are. Uh, but of course, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And I think now Spotify allows you to rate and review. Maybe not review, but rate for sure the podcast. Let's kind of keep it to five stars if you could. If you want to keep up with the podcast, you can follow us on social media at SAPod Network. That's SA as in San Antonio, pod as in podcast network at SAPod Network on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Lastly, if you or any business owners you know are looking to advertise with the podcast, Please reach out to me at Zachary, that's Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y, at sapodnetwork.com. Thank you all again. Have a wonderful week. See you again in a couple of weeks, and viva San Antonio.